0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this Prep Business Podcast. Today, we have a true expert in the field of prep centers with us, Brian Cummins. Brian, he's at the the helm of the operations of one of the best U.S. prep centers, and um, he's here to share his valuable insights and experiences with us. Brian, welcome to the show. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks so much. So, okay, Brian. Let's dive right in. Brian, today we are going to discuss some main topics like quality at prep centers, efficient onboarding strategies, how to qualify potential clients, and I'm pretty sure your insights will be will be very very valuable for other prep centers and uh, new clients as well. So, let's start. Uh, can you give me the start? We're going to ask you. I'm going to ask you some of the questions that our audience previously asked on our social media. And also we have its one scenario from, from an existing client. So let's let's just start with this. So Brian, can you give me your overall perspective in terms of quality at prep centers? You know, can you share me and share with our audience some of the best practices and what are the challenges you have encountered when it comes to maintaining a high quality standards in quality?
1: That's a broad question. So, for maintaining high quality standards on our part,
0: yes. What would be in overall your overall perspective? If you know, quality assurance is a crucial service. So, what is your overall perspective in in terms of? Let Let me be a little bit more punctual. What are your key performance indicators? Okay. So. Let's just speak
1: a little bit about, first, uh, to give provide some context. To provide quality service to our clients, we need to energize processes. And that means that they need to be written down and then followed and adhered to. Our customer service staff is different than our warehouse workers, our warehouse team. We all need to be on the same page with that. So when we make a promise to a client that we can fulfill on that promise. And that means we have to have standardized processes ahead of time that everybody uh, can follow. And that way we can provide consistently the service that we promise to our clients. And KPIs, uh, KPIs would be a way for us to measure the performance of our team, measure the performance of our customer service staff. And I kind of see those as two separate questions from the quality we provide mm-hmm. and, and the KPIs.
0: Mm-hmm. In terms of quality, what can you say in just in few words, what is your main goal when you want to achieve in terms of quality and give quality to your clients?
1: I think that we try to differentiate ourselves from, from other prep centers. You'll see that many prep centers promise fast, and accurate prep, of their products. Fast, accurate, and mainly those two things, and they also compete on price. We try to compete on our expertise, our level of expertise. We've been in business for 10 years. Uh, The owner and founder, Josie Shepard, is an Amazon seller. I'm a longtime Amazon seller. I've been selling since 2008. We answer the phones. We talk with our members. We provide live onboarding sessions with them. It's a matter of providing them with the support that they might uh, need. And especially because many of our clients may be new Amazon sellers and they may not have a whole lot of expertise in uh, managing their inventory. That's something that we can help them with. So we provide a different level of service than many of our competitors do. We also use the Practices Portal. And that makes a big, big difference with our clients compared to those prep centers that use spreadsheets, kind of the old school way of doing prep. The way all the prep centers started, mostly, is using spreadsheets to have their clients put the products on those spreadsheets, and they work from that. The portal makes a big, big difference in that the clients feel much more confident that we
0: are doing the work that we promised to do. They can see it right there on the portal. Perfect. And Brian, you just mentioned uh, a very important word, which is onboarding. And related to quality and onboarding, what do you think it's, what would be the ideal onboarding process for excluding software tools and, of course, ideal tools, but excluding those, what would be your ideal and perfect onboarding process of a new merchant if it's joining your prep center?
1: I think we have gotten it dialed in We do an excellent job with our onboarding now. We provide a terms of service document for them to sign. We don't move forward until they have signed that document. The next step is to give them a login to their own portal account. There is training that goes along with that so they understand how to connect their Amazon account, how to view their inventory in the portal, how to create an inbound shipment, an outbound shipment. And then we ask for user permissions, limited user permissions to their Amazon Seller Central account. We do this so that we can look at shipping plans and inventory and help troubleshoot problems should problems arise. And the last part of the onboarding is to offer them a personalized walkthrough of the portal. And not all clients take advantage of that. But those that do, we form stronger relationships with, stronger working relationships with. And we have fewer problems when they initially start using the portal such as uh, sending us products without creating an inbound shipment in the portal for instance so
0: that's the onboarding process in a nutshell okay sounds good and now talking about tools if you want to achieve an effective onboarding process automation it's it's definitely a key a game changer when you know how to use them you just say that so um how has your prep center leveraged automation tools to create a more streamlined onboarding process? This has been a recent development for us. We've had our
1: clients uh, listed in Airtable, which is a software program that we've used as a CRM, a client relations manager. But we've recently applied automation to that so that when somebody signs up through our website, there's an application form they get a welcome message immediately and telling them the the process that they're gonna go through. Also on our onboarding page, there are three short videos that inform them of the process. We're telling them that we're gonna select a prep center for them because we have more than one location. So there's a manual process there that we review their application. They know in the email, there's gonna be a bit of a delay as we review it and assign them to one of our warehouses. We use Airtable to make that assignment and and then to start the onboarding process by sending the terms of service. That's done through another app uh, called eSignatures.com or eSignatures.io. It is an electronic terms of service, so it's an electronic signature. Once we receive that back, that it's signed from them, there's another manual step in which we have to set up the portal account for them. So we have to invite them to the portal. That part is manually done, but then the rest of it of seeing if they have added their method of payment, their Amazon account, that's all done between the uh, connections between the portal and Airtable. So it's looking to see that the client has followed through on that. And also, it's also sending emails along the way to inform the client of what to do next. So a couple of pieces of manual interaction, but the rest is all handled through automation through Airtable. The other piece that we use with this is billing through Stripe. And the portal and Stripe are automatically connected. We use Airtable and another program called Make. Many people have heard of Zapier. Make is similar to Zapier. And that provides some connections between Stripe, Airtable, the portal, email. It kind of knits it all together. So it's taken us a while to build this, but it, it has really streamlined our onboarding process and made a much better experience for our clients.
0: Very good. And Brian, how do you follow up new clients as soon as they signed up or even better, do you have a standardized onboarding process, as, as I can see, but do you have something customizable if you have a specific client or big clients? Do you have a different, a different onboarding process or customizable onboarding process? You know, the, the nice thing is is that we've set up the automation in such a way
1: that it does send different emails depending upon the specific need. Like if it's going to one portal or a different portal, I'm sorry, a different warehouse, one warehouse or a different warehouse. There are different Amazon accounts that we have because we have so many clients. We need to have a number of different Amazon accounts for those user permissions. But the other piece is when clients don't respond, they don't follow through. So Airtable watches for that. When there's a delay, it notifies us to reach out to the client and also sends them an email encouraging them um, to move forward in the process, encouraging them to book that onboarding session with me, the live onboarding session so I can speak with them. And we're trying to plug those gaps, those places where clients don't proceed, they don't move forward. We're trying to provide more support and touch points to help those clients
0: actually make that move forward. Okay, sounds very good. You know, when before a client comes on board, it, it's crucial to qualify them and ensure they are a good fit. So, Brian, could you share your insights on how to effectively qualify potential clients even before to onboard them? Have you, can you share experiences where you already onboard a client, they were not a good fit for your prep center? Give us your overall perspective in terms of qualifying potential clients.
1: Yeah, that was a big learning lesson. We have two Southern California locations, and then we have an Oregon location that is exclusively for online arbitrage sellers. We've tried taking on beginning online arbitrage sellers, and it's kind of the low-hanging fruit. If you're a prep center, it's probably the easiest client that you can obtain is a new online arbitrage seller. And yet there is so much support that comes that's required to help them move along in their business, help them send products properly to you. <laughs> We've gotten all kinds of products that they can't list, that they're gated, that are the wrong product, and it's coming in very small quantities. we have stopped taking new online arbitrage sellers. We only take our arbitrage sellers that if they have at least a year's worth of experience, and we also examine their Amazon account to see uh, what their rating is, how much business they're doing in there. We're picky now. About that, because it doesn't pay for us to take a new seller. There's way too much customer support time and mistakes and, uh, compared to the amount of revenue that is generated by a new seller.
0: Hmm. Very interesting. So, with that said, Brian, mm-hmm. what criteria do you consider, or what what advice do you have for our audience in this regards? Like, what would be the best criteria to prevent those that that kind of experiences with wrong? Lines.
1: Well, if you're using some sort of contact form or an onboarding form, you need to try to qualify the clients, that that prospect, potential client, you need to try to qualify them on that form. And we have changed our contact forms over time to extract that information that we need. We need to understand what type of sourcing they're doing, whether they're buying from manufacturers or wholesale distributors or online retail stores. We need to know the volume that they're uh, producing. We also need to know the amount of time that they've been in business. We want to, again, see their Amazon store name so we can visit that and take a look at their account. Again, that's part of that onboarding process. There's a manual step before we assign them to work to a warehouse. We need to see who they are first in working with them.
0: Very good. Yeah, sounds very reasonable. Now, talking about partnerships, Brian, that it's something we are very curious about and connected prep centers each other. So in terms of partnerships and that can be a game changer in the prep center industry, can you talk us and talk our audience about the power of having a partnership or how can that take your prep center to the next level? Is that, you know, can prep centers find any advantages or benefits doing partnerships with other prep centers? Yes, I think so. We are location-based. You know, inventory is going to come from a certain
1: area. And it doesn't make sense for an Amazon seller to have their supplier's inventory that's uh, being sent from Florida to our warehouse on the West Coast. So mm-hmm. generally, if you have clients, they have they have suppliers around the country, it may benefit them to have a trusted resource for a different prep center. So if you form that type of relationship with like us being on the West Coast, we form relationships with prep centers on the East Coast. They get uh, a client who has suppliers on the West Coast. We have uh, clients have suppliers on the East Coast. We can recommend each other. And I think it's beneficial for both prep centers. Instead of seeing this as, oh, we're losing business. No, we're actually getting more business because uh, we're generating referrals, both directions, from us
0: and to us. Okay. All right. So before we wrap up, I would like to bring up some of our uh, clients' questions. So this is a, one of our uh, clients' questions, and this is my question for Brian is, she is Susan Matson, and she is also running the prep center and actually using the prep, prep business stock work. And she asked, what metrics do you use to scale your business from a cash flow perspective? Like, you know, like how do you have systems in, in place to ensure that certain amount of items are prepped out and um, like prep out, out to the door and like a specific amount of them in a day. So how can you cover those expenses? Yeah. Yes. You had, Andrew, you had provided me Susan's
1: question ahead of time, and I had given that some thought. It's such a challenge when business moves up and down, it fluctuates greatly. So we're trying to have enough labor on hand to cover the amount of business that we need. And we have enough uh, space with several warehouses. We have adequate warehouse space, storage space. So the problem becomes, do we have adequate staffing? And if we overhire and then we're paying out too much in staffing compared to the amount of billing that we're doing, that's a problem. So we try to look at both of those, looking at billing and our staffing and trying to keep the two commensurate, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. So one of, the, one of the, the techniques that we've used is to hire temporary workers when we have a large load coming in. If, we, if we're unloading containers, And being on the West Coast and Southern California area, we do get quite a few container loads that are coming in from the Orient. We're unloading containers. We'll hire temporary workers, have them come in to help us with that unload. Occasionally, we can uh, use temporary workers for prep, or there are other workers that are willing to work on a hourly basis, you know, as needed basis. And we'll call them in ahead of time when we are particularly busy. So those are the two things that we're constantly looking at is how much billing we have, and, uh, or invoicing, and then how many hours. And I think the other thing is that, you know, you can look at units. How many units are you processing every day? Or you can look at cartons. How many cartons uh, are you processing every day, especially with outbound shipments? But that doesn't always, it doesn't always give you the information that you really, really need. If you're looking at at total units and you're doing mostly carton forwarding, Instead of prep, that goes through very, very quickly, and you can you can move through lots of units very quickly. But if you're doing prep, and especially if it's intensive prep where you're doing uh, bundling, for instance, that's going to slow you way down. So it's hard to use those as KPIs. One of the things that we do is is look at the number of client orders, and we try to have a consistent number of client orders. I know some are large or some are small, but overall we're looking at a minimum number of orders
0: per day, per warehouse. Hey, thanks for that. Ryan, Mm -hmm. and final, this is a challenging scenario. Just picture a a regular guy, he's trying to run a new prep center. So Hiba Hassan from Facebook, he recently launched, launched and opened a prep center in the UK. He was working as a virtual assistant for a company involved in Amazon wholesales. And well, he had kind of experience on that. So when he decided to open up website he encountered recurring challenges for like how to get a new clients, out of post and not wasting time with online publicity and how to reach the correct sellers, which I'm sure you already talked, but can you gift as in just you know, a little advice on next time he would like to, because he will he would like to try opening a prep center again. But what would be the advice for a regular guide who is opening a prep center? So how do you attract new clients? I think that's probably the question.
1: Yeah, When we first opened 10 years ago, it was a very organic type of process. Uh, Josie Shepard found that as an Amazon seller, that the amount of inventory that she was processing was too large to do in her house. She opened a a small uh, warehouse. Uh, There were other Amazon sellers that she knew that wanted her help, especially because she had hired staff to do the prepping for her. So at that time, 10 years ago, it was relatively easy to get clients just through word of mouth. Nowadays, it's different. There's lots of prep centers out there. So the easiest client to get is uh, a client through online arbitrage. There are Online websites. some of these are from Amazon sellers or Amazon trade trainers that will list your prep center on that. That's something that I would recommend is doing a reach out to these different Amazon third party providers of sorts and get your prep center listed on their resources page, and get them talking about you and referring to you. However, you've got to choose your clients so If you're hungry for clients, you might decide to do online arbitrage, take new sellers. Just know that it's going to be labor intensive in working with them. When you're new as a prep center, you probably have more time. As you get busier as a prep center, you could be more selective in the types of clients. Currently, we're doing a new outreach to third-party providers, trying to speak with them, be on their podcasts, do blog exchanges with them. So we're really reaching out to network with other Amazon third-party providers in order to get our prep center and more exposure for our prep center.
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Brian coming in with us today. Thank you so much, Brian, for joining us and such a great experience. Your experience and your valuable knowledge will be very, very grateful for our clients here. So, do you have anything else or something else do you want to share before we wrap up? No, Andrew, this has been a pleasure. I've enjoyed
1: this. I always willing to help when I can. I think that's at our prep center that's something that we we have the heart of helping other people. So being on this uh, podcast here is is just part of my mission of being of
0: service. Amazing. And by the way, I love your e-commerce. Business school, right? And I was I was. And by the way, ch- check that on YouTube channels. Thank you so much, everyone, and thanks again, Brian, for sharing your experience. We're gonna end this podcast, and hopefully, we will have more spaces like this with expert or many people who are also uh, willing to share their experiences at prep centers. Thank you, Brian. Have an excellent weekend over there. Thank you.